6: I am to be smart. Roland Martin's doing this every day. Oh, no
7: punches! Thank you,
6: Roland Martin, for always giving voice to the
7: issues. Look for Roland Martin in the whirlwind, to quote Marcus Garvey again. The video looks
8: phenomenal, so I'm really excited to see it on my big screen. Support this man,
1: Black media. He makes sure that our stories are told.
7: See, this is the difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. I got to defer to the
3: brilliance of Dr. Carr and to the brilliance
7: of the Black Star Network. I am
3: rolling with Roland all the way. Honored to be on a show that you own. A Black man <laughs> owns the show. Folks, Black Star our network is here. I'm real uh, revolutionary right now. Rolling was amazing
7: on that. Stay black.
8: I love y'all. I can't
7: commend you enough about this
8: platform that you've created for us to be able to share who we are, what we're doing in the world, and the impact that we're having.
3: Let's be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You can't be black on media and be scared. You dig?
8: April 21st 2022 I'm Reese Colbert sitting in for Roland. here's what's coming up on Roland Martin unfiltered streaming live on the black star network Florida Republicans passed a congressional map after a sit-in protest by black lawmakers that new map, backed by Republican Governor Ron DeSantis, gives the party a significant advantage in November's elections by eliminating two majority black districts. We have two Florida lawmakers who participated in today's protest and voting rights activist on the show tonight. A Nevada state senator is giving up her state senate seat. She's focused on becoming the next mayor of North Las Vegas. Pam Spearman will discuss why she's the best candidate for the job. What appears to be the arrest of a young black boy accused of stealing a bag of chips by Syracuse police is causing outrage and debate about how cops should treat children. It's taking two years, but a Connecticut state trooper faces manslaughter for killing a man after a high-speed chase. In Tennessee, white whilst, while state lawmakers sign a bill requiring the teaching of black history in schools, a black Tennessee mayor declares declares April. Confederate History Month. We have a lot to talk about tonight. It's time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered streaming live on the Black Star Network. Let's go.
2: He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the fine. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics.
8: today on Florida's House floor. Democrats shut down the special session to approve a new congressional map Governor Ron DeSantis demanded lawmakers pass. The new congressional map passed in a 68 to 38 party-line vote. DeSantis's map carves up a Black-held congressional seat. Some say it will diminish the state's Black representation in the U.S. House and benefit Republicans. It now goes to the governor for his signature. Joining me now are Florida State Representatives Tracy Davis and Angie Nixon. Tracy and Angie, Representatives Nixon and Davis, I should say. Thank you for joining us. You both were part of this uh, demonstration today. Can you just give the viewers a little bit more insight into what led up to this fight and the implications of this congressional map now in go- R- Governor Ron DeSantis's uh, desk?
1: Yes, for sure. So, first of all, thank you for having us. So, what we witnessed today was a direct attack on democracy. After taking part in good trouble, necessary trouble, a peaceful sit-in, we saw that the will of an ambitious governor just, you know, it it played out before us today. And so what we have here in Florida is an ambitious governor who cares no more about being governor of Florida, but he is making a play to be the president of the United States. Governor DeSantis is a bully and he is attacking black people, and he is doing it on the backs. (laughs) He's doing it on the backs of all Floridians. This map is unconstitutional. It is illegal, and it is eliminating two black congressional seats. And this, again, is all because he wants to ensure that his party stays uh, in control.
9: Right. Do you have anything else to add to that? Yeah, th- this was, and thank you for that. This was just a culmination and a la- the last straw. Over the last two sessions, um, it has been a complete attack, like my colleague said, on black people, from the Individual Freedom Bill, the Stop Woke Act, to the elections bills that we've dealt with here in Florida, um, to just the Don't Say Gay Bill, to also the um, anti-protest bill. So today was all about the last straw and just making sure that Black voters understood we heard them, we were with them, and we're gonna fight alongside of them. And that's what today was all about.
8: I wanna bring in Brent Frazier, who is president of the Northside Coalition of Jacksonville. But before I get to you, Ben, um, just uh, Representative Davis, um, can you just talk a little bit about the fact that um, because of go- Governor Ron DeSantis' obstruction of a special election, um, much of the black representation in the state um, legislature went vacant for a good portion of the legislati- legislative session. For those who are not familiar with that, can you talk about even how uh, Ron DeSantis has already disenfranchised the voice of black voters in the state?
9: Absolutely. We, we had a, an election in Broward County and that election left many of our uh, Broward County residents in that part of the state um, missing representation. And that all had the, the remnants and uh, the fingerprints of our governor not make, calling for an election to make sure those voters were represented while we were here doing the business of Floridians. And so, again, um, this, this governor has just um, put his... Uh, fingerprints all over um, making sure Black voters do not have a voice in this house.
8: Right. Uh, Ben, I want to ask you a question because, you know, we've seen um, a lot of these moves as both representatives have, have detailed that Ron DeSantis has done. And it seems to me that while everybody's paying attention to the Disney uh, special district, there hasn't been enough attention um, on what's actually happening with this congressional map. Can you just talk about the importance of the demonstration that we saw from those who protested, including the representatives, this um, illegal uh, gerrymandered congressional map? Can you talk about how it's important to have protests, even if the end result feels like it's inevitable?
4: Well, I should say, first off, that we are so very proud of these representatives. This was an unprecedented move, a direct action protest on the floor of the Florida House. This is the kind of bravery and the kind of courage that was symbolized by John Lewis when they crossed the Edmund Fettus Bridge. You understand that experts will tell you that this redistricting is about statistics, numbers, metrics. But I'm here to tell you it is a lot more than that. This, in effect, is uh, the story, the hard fought fight that we had about the right to vote, ancestors and activists who led us in this struggle through blood, sweat and tears. And what we have with these representatives before you this evening is history. They have accepted the baton in the relay race of history and I applaud them for that. Now, let's talk about where we are with regards to this particular district. We constitute 17 percent of the state's population, Black folks, 3.3 million people. We call Florida home. But here's what you've got right now. We're only able to affect 7 percent of the congressional delegation. We got 28 members in all, but 17 percent of the population, but we can only affect 7 percent of those who are on that congressional delegation. What this governor has done is clearly racist, unconstitutional. It is, in fact, anti-black and, in the very least, racially uninformed. Most of us will simply call it like it is. It's just plain old racist. This governor is leading the state backwards to a time when racial injustice was the law of the land. The right to vote was the crown jewel of the civil rights struggle. We cannot allow this man to take that back. He appears to be hell-bent on turning the hands of time back to Reconstruction and Jim Crowism. We've got to stand up, and I'm so happy to see that these representatives were bold and courageous in doing what they did today.
8: Absolutely. I think that it's an incredibly bold and important move because there needs to be urgent attention paid to black representation in the state of uh, Florida. Uh, Representative yeah. Nixon, though, one of the things I noticed in the discussions, in particular with Republicans are trying to couch this ass, is that it's actually discriminatory to take into account uh, black voters and the percentage of black voters in a particular district, and that itself is racial gerrymandering. What's your take, or can you just explain the the, the hypocrisy or the doublespeak that's happening to try to make it seem like what they're doing is actually less discriminatory than the, the congressional maps prior? Yeah,
1: so it's the hypocrisy and the inconsistency for me, right? Mm-hmm. So they always change the rules to fit their narrative always. And the fact that they're using the 14th Amendment, which (laughs) allowed our ancestors to have the right to vote now to use that against us, is a huge slap in the face. Look, at the end of the day, I could not sit idly by, we could not sit idly by after hearing from Representative Thompson, Representative Henson, two of our elders in this who spoke about getting kicked and spat on, who had to drink out of colored water fountains, who got arrested for fighting for their right to vote. We could not sit by and allow them to have to go through the same thing they went through years ago. It makes absolutely no sense that I'm fighting for the same things that my daughter's great grandmothers are fighting for. And I'm going to continue to push back. And again, everyone's talking about Disney. Let's let's be clear. that Disney issue is a real issue because it illustrates the fact that Governor DeSantis is a bully, and anyone that criticizes him or speaks out against him, they that he's going to attack them, right? And so, yes, that's a real issue, but it was a distraction. It was to distract everyone from the fact that half of our representation as black people is being eliminated and that is not right and it is unfair and it just goes to show you if he if he was to win president of the United States which he's not and we won't let him this is going to show you exactly how he would govern us as president and yeah. we do not want him to go back to the wrong side of history. I refuse, like like Representative Henson said on that floor today, I refuse to go back.
8: Well, I hear that. And before he can get to president, he's on the ballot actually in the fall. Um, And so that's one way to stop them. And you also cannot gerrymander the Senate. So, you know, there is a Senate seat that's up for uh, election this year. So hopefully the kinds of advocacy and the protests that you all are doing will draw attention to the fact that there are still races to be won um, in Florida and the implications continue to be incredibly great. Um, But I do want to bring in the panel on this, if we could keep you guys for a little bit longer. Uh, Joining us, um, uh, per usual, um, on Thursdays is Dr. Carr, Department of African American Studies at Howard University, Dr. Larry J. Walker, Assistant Professor of University of Central Florida, and Crystal Knight, Democratic strategist. Thank you all for being here. Uh, Crystal, I'll start with you. Do you have any questions or comments for our esteemed panelists tonight? Or guests, yeah, sorry.
6: Okay, sure. Well, I think the, the, the first question I have is, what's the next step in this fight for against gerrymandering? Thank you for, you know, sitting in today on the state floor, but what's the next step in this process? Where do you all go from here?
9: Um, Thank you. That's a great question. So you guys have already said it. The next step, and like you've heard it, there was a map that we voted on. Um, and It was a map that we referred to as 80-60. And that was a a map that both chambers referred to to, and we voted on because it retained our Black representation in Congress. And that is the map we want. We are demanding that that is the map that, that is brought back. Um, but but other than that, we know we're dealing with a governor that's not pretty much going to listen to what we're doing, and that's why we were here today um, with the, the peaceful protest. So we're hoping and encouraging our folks that the only way to get rid of this governor and stop his warpath on the attacks of Black people is to make sure we are motivating people, encouraging them to get out and vote. That is the end result. That is what immediately is the next step for us.
1: And let's let's be clear, right? So after he signs this bill, after he signs these ma- these maps into law, there's going to to be lawsuits. Yes. And so right. don't. Don't think for one second that that's not going to happen. But of course, you know, that takes time. And so we know folks are probably going to have to run on these maps. But when they run, we need to show up to the polls to make sure they are not elected. And that is what we're going to do. We're going to have this is just really an opportunity for us to galvanize our base. Governor DeSantis has continually thrown out red meat to a base, which came in the form of unconstitutional illegal laws. Listen, let's be clear, this was not the only illegal law and unconstitutional law that the governor uh, has pushed forward through this legislature. And so we're going to continue to highlight that and galvanize our base, because I believe if we do that, that we will win.
4: I think that there's also a need for us to recognize the grassroots campaign that we're going to have to wage. We must always remember that this is where it starts from. We must continue to agitate, as you did today. We must continue to educate. And we must continue to organize and mobilize. We've got to communicate with our folks at the ground level. We can make this happen, folks. Ours is a message not of fear, but of faith. We start here, but we're going to end up up there. We will rise. As the saying goes, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. We must continue our struggle until victory is won.
8: That is very inspiring words. Uh, I'm going to go to Dr. Carr. Do you have a comment or question for our guests?
7: Yes, thank you, Reese, and thank you all for waging the fight. Uh, with all due respect, uh, I don't look at uh, the corn-pone governor of California, uh, of, uh, of Florida as a bully. He's a punk.
1: <laughs>
0: and so with
7: that in mind, I mean, you know, a bully has some strength. This punk needs to be dealt with as a punk. Mm-hmm. And, and and I'm saying that, and I guess I have a couple of questions. Number one, why is this man's uh, approval rating in the mid-50s mm-hmm. in the state of Florida? And the other question is, you are absolutely right, as we know, it's going to go to court. Isn't there a, a, an amendment? the uh, Fair Districts Amendment in the California, I'm sorry, I keep saying California, in the Florida Constitution, do you expect the Florida Supreme Court to uphold that uh, amendment as constitutional and thereby restore uh, the districts? And do you expect the Supreme Court, as you say, they're going after the 14th Amendment, to uphold these racist maps by the white nationalist party and, and the punk governor of Florida?
9: Dr. Carr, that was a lot. In, <laughs> that was a lot in that, but I'll, I'll try to I try to address the first one where you said he's a punk, and I think you know we agree. <laughs> and, and so we think we thought today was time for us to stand up to this uh, punk that we uh, normally don't refer to as our governor. She's someone else's governor. <laughs> <laughs> so so that's number one. Um, you also asked you you or, do approval, we think approval, the approval. approval rating for this this governor? Um, we know Florida is, is not, uh, is Post-racial. not racial. Right. It's not a blue state all the time. Florida is, um, the South. Florida is the South. People it is think a, South <laughs> Beach, but it yeah. is the South. It, the is, it is a red state. South. Yeah, it's a red state. So it's, it's, it's Republican led. And so we are dealing with the Republican led legislature. So that's why his, his approval rating is so high. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, everyone has to be knocked off that pedestal mm-hmm. every once in a while, and that's what we intend to do. Um, and as far as the courts, um, we can... We, we're not gonna... We know this is gonna be litigated. We actually know this is gonna be several lawsuits, but the courts have not necessarily been friendly mm-hmm. when it comes to um, a democratic outcome. So we don't necessarily mm-hmm. hold a lot of faith in the courts, but he did ask them for an opinion, and they did at... at Earlier in this year, refused to give it to him, so they will push back from time to time. But fair districts was something Florida decided on in 2010. Um, it is our job as legislators to ho- legislators to hold up what the vote voters wanted, and we are tr- we are doing that. And today was an example of us listening to our voters, hearing what our voters said, and we stood up to the pump.
1: And and look, so the main reason all of this is happening is because in 2018, a black man came so close to becoming governor of Florida. And Governor DeSantis, y'all, they governor. Somebody's governor. He ain't my governor. Governor DeSantis is so fearful of losing power, and he realizes how close that, that election was. And so, again, I know it sounds... Just we sound like a broken record, but it's real in regards to the fact that we are going to motivate voters. The only way we can get out of this is if we turn our people out to the polls. We are th- able to retain judges or to get rid of judges by voting uh, for the you know our state Supreme Court. And so that's what we're gonna have to continue to push people to do to get out and vote.
4: I think you're hitting the nail right on the head, uh, Representative Nixon. We're going to have to begin to educate voters, register voters and get people out to the polls in a way that we never have before. But also, let's look at this from a greater perspective. Florida is now the epicenter of this focus, this red meat Republican extremist radical base that is being appealed to. We need folks who believe as we believe to join us here in Florida to fight this fight. We're calling on people across this country to join us as we mount forces to fight these people who are trying to continue attacks on blacks. We've got to stop it. It's unfair. It's unjust. It's simply not right. This governor is trying to lead us backwards and trying to turn back the hands of time. We need your help wherever you are. Join us here in Florida to help us fight this fight.
8: There definitely needs to be an all-hands-on-deck situation, because this is the blueprint. We know with Republicans, their behavior escalates. They follow each other's lead. Mm -hmm. Governor Abbott down in Texas started off with the most extreme gerrymandered map, and then Ron DeSantis said, uh, hold my beer, Uh, I will raise Mm -hmm. that. So Mm -hmm. we definitely cannot allow this to stand in any states, because then it only further emboldens them. Dr. Walker, uh, last question from you before we have to go to a break.
10: Yeah, really quickly here, I think uh, Mr. Frazier hit on it in terms of the Florida being a center of cultural wars. And I wanted to ask the state representative, first of all, all, thank you for your your commitment to democracy. But I also want to ask you in terms of like GOTV, you know, efforts, right? So this is happening. Florida is the epicenter. What are you hearing at the federal level?
11: Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this.
10: At PurdueGlobal.edu, in terms of some of the support you're going to receive for the elections this year, that we know are very important in the state,
1: I guess (laughs) I guess I'll take that because you know i I work in uh, I work in campaigns and with organizations, just trying to drive out Black voter turnout. So, in all honesty, folks have been a little hesitant because they, of course, have, as you all stated, have um, saw his approval ratings. However, I think because of what we did today, uh, and I think because we're gaining traction and folks realize that we're going to be out in the streets with the people, we are no longer uh, being politically correct about things anymore because our lives actually do depend on it, I think we're going to start getting some funds (laughs) down and some resources to come to our area. And so um, we are super thankful for that. I've gotten some phone calls. I have some meetings Already set up next week. And so I think again, I think I I believe I know that we will win if we come together. Um and everybody, all hands on deck, send us some funds and make sure we're able to turn our people out so that we can stop DeSantis here. Again, he is making a vibe for president of the United States, but in order to to thwart that effort, we need to stop him in November from being reelected to the governor's mansion. And
4: hey, listen, black voters matter. And we're going to drive that point home to this state and this country. Black voters matter.
9: I know that this is a combination of uh, three panelists that have elections and campaigns <laughs> in our background. So I came from the elections office. Rob Nixon came from campaigns. And we have Ben Fraser on board that knows how to rile everybody and get that energy going. So you, you have a, tr- a trio right here that's definitely about driving the vote out.
4: Oh, please reach out to us at Coalition at gmail.com. <laughs>
8: Representative Nixon, you, um, Dr. Carr wasn't shown on camera, but he gave a good, like, you know, <laughs> cheer because he likes the gloves coming off. He likes the we're not gonna be PC, so you got a cheerleader, and Dr. Carr, and and you know, I, I noticed during um, the session that the the that the person who was facilitating the session, I believe the the, the leader there, was kind of lecturing on decorum and things like that, but. Where is the decorum when you are disenfranchising and essentially uh, relegating Black citizens to second-class citizenship? So spare us the lectures, spare us the speeches. Until you do the right damn thing, we don't want to hear anything coming out of you. Period. Period. Period.
1: Period. <laughs> Period. Poop. Fourteen-year-olds.
8: Exactly. And then just, and just one last que- Oh, sorry. Doc, did, did somebody have something? I felt like I heard. I, did, I
4: just wanted to again applaud these folks, these politicians, these elected officials who are brave enough to stand up and to make a stand and to speak out for what is right. Thank you so very much. We need more elected officials like you.
8: Yes, we do, indeed. I just want to ask one final question, though. Um, either representative, if you can answer this. Uh, Congressman Al Lawson is one of the people whose um, seat is in jeopardy. Uh, Congresswoman Val Demings is running for Senate, so she's not running for re-election there. But her seat is another one that has been gerrymandered to the extreme. Is there anything that you guys are doing or is there anything that's being done to help these specific Uh, candidates that are are the electeds who would be affected by this congressional gerrymandering to get them more resources?
9: Well, we have been in contact with um, Congressman Lawson and he's released a statement, but I think he's tried to stay um, in, a, in a median area because he doesn't want to talk about incumbency, right? Mm. And he doesn't want to be accused of always being in front of the camera talking about incumbency because we are dealing with his his district. So a, as far as um, dealing with the district and uh, talking with Congressman Lawson, we, we are here with him. We're here to support him through this, and we're here to support any candidate that um, feels the need to um, attempt to run for this seat. I mean, again, it's candidates we need, and we need our voters up, out, educated, and voting. So we're here to support, support him through this. That's- right as
13: we
4: continue this legal struggle, we simply will continue to rally, to march, to demonstrate, and to make clear our dissatisfaction with the racist policies, practices, and procedures. That this governor is affecting here in the state of Florida.
8: And you know, one thing will be great is to prove to Ron DeSantis and to these Republicans that you can gerrymander black folks out of districts to where white folks are the plurality or whatever, but black people can compete even if it's not a a predominantly black district. So hopefully they'll be proven wrong that people like our Lawson or whoever runs for the new district that Val Val Deming's seat will be redistricted to, hopefully we can prove to them that they're going to have to try even harder because we can still compete anyway, regardless of what kind of roadblocks they put up. So um, thank you all for being with us. Uh, ben Frazier, thank you so much for your advocacy. Uh, Representatives Davis and Nixon, thank you for your uh, fearless leadership today, along with all the folks who protested and drew attention to this that I don't think would have been there, but for uh, the protest that you staged today. So thank you so much for thank being with you. us. Have a good one. You too we have a lot more to talk about you're watching Hi. Uh-oh. you're watching Rolla martin unfiltered on black star network we'll be right back
9: i'm deborah owens america's wealth coach and on the next get wealthy you'll meet jandy turner who took her love of sports expanded her network and created a thriving
2: business. I settled on developing a golf event planning business, which in and of itself has been very uh, viable for me. One of the things that I've learned from producing hundreds if not thousands of golf tournaments is that business gets done on the golf course. All on the next
9: Get Wealthy only on Star Network.
2: Pull
7: up a chair, take your seat. At the Black Tape. With me, Dr. Greg Carr, here on the Black Star Network. Every week, we'll take a deeper dive into the world we're living in. Join the conversation only on the Black Star Network.
14: Hey, everybody, it's your girl, Lumelle.
3: So, what's up? This is your boy, Earthquake. Hi, I'm Chaley Rose, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. <laughs>
8: Midterm elections are approaching. Also on those ballots will be state and local government races. In Nevada, State Senator Pat Spearman is running to be the next mayor of North Las Vegas. Her platform consists of issues surrounding economic development, health care, and the LGBTQ community. She joins me now from Las Vegas. Welcome to the Roland Martin Unfiltered show, uh, Senator Spearman. Thank you for being here with us tonight.
13: Oh, thank you, Um, It's a pleasure to be here. And, you know, I was listening to the last segment. Uh, I'm fired up. Yeah. (laughs) I'm fired up. Yeah, we we got work to do.
8: Yeah, absolutely. So I, I want you to set the stage for the viewers out there and just tell us, the state of the race down there in North Las Vegas. I know that there are some interesting things that people will be interested in. Like for instance, you have an all-black field of candidates um, that are running to be what would be the first black mayor of North Las Vegas. Another interesting part is that the current mayor is actually a Democrat who changed his party affiliation to Republican to run as a Republican candidate for the governor uh, race down there. So tell us a little bit about the state of the race, in North Las Vegas as you see it today?
13: Uh, Well, thank you. It is quite interesting, and I think probably one of the most interesting uh, aspects of this race is that the uh, only demographic that is in the race um, are Black people. Uh, There should be sure there are some really nice people in the race, uh, I just have a real different opinion uh, than the other six. I think it might be seven. Uh, I believe that I really am the most qualified for the race. Let me say a little bit about uh, the uh, current mayor uh, changing uh, changing parties. Uh, I look at it like he simply took off the mask. He realized that uh, October 31st, was long gone and took off the mask because most people knew already that he was indeed a Republican. As a matter of fact, he is the one that was in the seat that I won outright in 2012. And Democrats rallied around my candidacy then because they wanted, quote, a real Democrat to represent them. Uh, The race that we have now is myself. Uh, There is a city councilwoman who's in the race. There are a couple of veterans. Uh, And then there's uh, someone who is an entrepreneur. Uh, And, as I said before, all of them are good people. I just have a difference of opinion in terms of their qualifications versus mine. Uh, I, know, I know that not only am I ready on day one, but I have got the kind of vision I know that I can cast and get people to uh, come on into this tent, if you will, so we can move our city forward. For years, North Las Vegas has really been kind of like a stepchild of Las Vegas. Uh, There are more than 40 percent, 42, 43 percent of the households here who are either service workers or members of some type of a union. Yet, when you look at what happened during COVID, uh, North Las Vegas residents were hit really, really hard. And there have been some opportunities to help. Uh, the people who lost their jobs, who were downsized, people who are losing homes, people who can't pay the rent, all of those sorts of things. There have been some opportunities to do that, uh, but the current administration has chosen not to. And recently, not only have they chosen not to do something in COVID, uh, but there is a real issue with one of our historically Black communities. It is a community that was established when uh, segregation was here in Las Vegas, and that is Windsor Park. I, I was ha- had an opportunity to walk and talk to those people who are over there, to the residents over there, they simply want to hang on to their homes. These are people who, who live in the house that their grandparents bought. These are people who live in the house that their great uh, uncle or aunt bought. These are the people who look out across the street, and they see this is the street where they, they had their Easter egg hunt. That's where they played stickball, all those sorts of things. And what has been happening is that the city has determined that they, will, they want to use Windsor Park, a current neighborhood, they want to use that and turn it into a light industrial Uh, uh, zoning. And the people there do not want that. And this has been happening for years, for years. Uh, Senator Dina Neal, one of my colleagues, God bless her, she is... uh, You know, (laughs) I tell people, she's probably the only one that I know that can go to a knife fight with seven rubber bands and still win the fight. Uh, (laughs) But she's been fighting for the the, uh, people of of Windsor Park for a long, long time, and she made me aware of it sometime last year. This has been going on a long time. There has been benign neglect. There are homes that have literally fallen Falling apart. There are lights that are out. Uh, there was trash in the streets that the city never removed. There uh, are, are graffiti. There's graffiti on the walls, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, just... You just go on and name it, yeah. historically yeah. Black Uh, neighborhood, and now the city wants to close it down. I hope that some of your viewers are listening, and I really hope that they will begin to have some type of a campaign to help the people of Windsor Park save their neighborhood. And and, and if they will do that, I believe we can make a statement, not just to this current administration, but to future administrations. Look, take your hands off of our history. It's not about the money that you plan to offer us. It's about the memories. These are people who worked hard to get the homes that they have, and I'll be doggone if you're going to just come in and say, we're going to erase you and we're going to put up light industrial, whatever that means, whatever that means. Yeah. I- I'm sorry, I'm, I'm on a soapbox because I, I really feel bad, I feel poorly for the people because right now they have no voice. The person who should be representing them has said nothing, has said nothing, as a matter of fact, has, ha- has, has been by default, has been complicit in her complacency. And does that person happen to be
8: somebody that's one of your competitors, or how does every how does how does your position in terms of supporting Windsor Park, this historically black neighborhood, um, track with 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 your uh, opponents in this race?
13: I I, I will say this: um, if you show me what you've already done, I'll know what you're getting ready to do. Hmm. And if you have neglected the neighborhoods the historically black neighborhoods that are in your ward if you've already done that why should we turn the keys to the city over to you so that you can do that in mass and that's all I'll say about that okay note it
8: <laughs> that's a valid point you know when you're talking about um you know issues of economic development to your point That can be a double-edged sword, particularly for Black neighborhoods, because they like to bring in economic development, but sometimes at the expense of the property values, sometimes taking over the properties, uh, whether it's infrastructure or any number of things. Can you talk a little bit about your economic development or your economic priorities for the city of North Las Vegas, and how does that take into account issues of equity for its citizens?
13: So, North Las Vegas is the only city in uh, Southern Nevada that is not landlocked. We have um, several hundred acres that have been undeveloped. Uh, There is a part of the acreage that is just north of the uh, city uh, called Apex. Economic development for me means to diversify using apex, using the land that is already there, not going in and tearing down neighborhoods. We have a uh, we have a company Air Liquide, which is a hydrogen fuel cell company. They're headquartered in Paris. They're already out there. We have Neuro, which is a uh, an artificial intelligence company that uh, I'm sure the people who are in Houston, I know that you've seen that. So we have an opportunity here to look at an ecosystem, an economic development ecosystem. Those plants are all. Already here. But here's what I intend to do as mayor. I want to look at those other industries that are on the periphery and invite them to come. And And listen, Reese, I'm not just talking about it. I've been about it. Mm-hmm. I can pick up the phone and I can call people that I've met while I've been in the Senate in uh, from from the uh, from national to international. I can pick up the phone and I can call people who I've worked with when I worked on my doctoral degree and my my research was in global energy policy. So I'm not just talking about something that's out there and we can never never attain it. I'm talking about something that I know that we can have. And so neighborhoods that have been neglected will once again be respected because we're not going to go in there and tear them down. We're going to use the land that has not been developed and we're going to look, cast a wide vision and look at the ecosystem because once you get industrial uh, uh, companies out there, once you get advanced manufacturing, all of those things, now you're talking about opportunities for entrepreneurs because somebody's got to supply the toilet paper. Somebody's got to feed them. Somebody's got to clean it. Somebody's got to fix the whatchamacallit, when the duflachy uh, falls apart and, and the thingamajig, nobody knows how to fix that. So so I'm talking about economic diversification, using the industries, the energy industries, the technology, techo- te- technology industries that are already there. And I'm talking about using that to be a base for the ecosystem that we can create. And not only is it just a base of the ecosystem that we can create, we're talking about jobs that start, most of them start at $25 an hour. And that doesn't even include benefits. Now, what What does that mean? That means for someone who gets a job that starts at $25 an hour and they have not included benefits in that, once you add on benefits, now you're talking somewhere close north of $35 an hour. That's one of the things that the people here in North Las Vegas crave. That's one of the things that they deserve. And I believe that within within the Spearman administration, I believe that we can do that. And it's not just about me doing it. It's about me gathering everybody together and saying, this is the basis of the vision. Will you come and help me fill it out? Will you come and help us make sure that we have hit every corner, every cranny, every... We we want every voice, Every person, every neighborhood involved in this, and this, make no mistake about it, is an election of transformation. Yes, the very next mayor will be black, but black is not the only thing that we ought to be looking at. We ought to be looking at the person who is most qualified, the person who's already done the job, the person who comes with the receipts. And, oh, by the way, it's not just the receipts. I bring the cash register with me, too. And so we're talking about someone who, on day one, can get in that seat and sit there and make sure that we move forward. Now, Risa, now, let me let me say this, because I, I was listening to the panel before me, and, and, and we're talking about what's happening in Florida. I hope everyone realizes that, that, that Florida is a microcosm of the political platform and plan that will be used in 2024, because you're looking out and you're seeing people who look like us. You're seeing people who may even talk like us, but they are not about us. I think it was Zora Neale Hurston that said, all my skin folk, ain't my kinfolk. And so so the Republicans are co-opting many people in in the black community, and and I don't know how they're doing it. You know, the thing that comes to mind with uh, Easter being last Sunday, the thing that comes to mind is, what are you going to get for those 30 pieces of silver once you sell your neighborhoods out, once you sell your people out, once you sell freedom out, once you sell equality out? What are you going to get for those 30 pieces of silver? And so I hope that people all across the country, to include here in Nevada to include here in Nevada, recognize that Republicans are playing in every race, every every election, every race, every seat. That's what's happening. And just because they have gotten someone from the black community, from the brown community, from the LGBTQ community to come and they've co-opted them, just because they talk like and they look like us, all my skin folk ain't my kin folk. Well, we
8: definitely know that. And, you know, we can't only... Folk. We hear this all the time. Usually it's to try to diminish a black candidate versus a non-black candidate. But it's even more so critical when we have a race that has an all-black slate of candidates. You have to look that much closer and not just mm-hmm. any, many, mighty mo, because everybody black will all be good. So thank you, Senator exactly. Exactly. Spearman, for joining us tonight. Tell people how they can support your candidacy or learn more about your candidacy.
13: Sure. Please please go to patspearman.com and learn about our priorities. Go to patspearman.com. And if you have additional questions, you can s- send them to us at pat at patspearman.com, and I'll make sure that we answer it. This is a race that we must win, and we must win it with someone who is qualified, someone who can go the distance, and most importantly, someone who has the fight in them and will take the fight to people who want to tear down our neighborhoods, who take the fight to people who want to destroy our future, take the fight to people who care nothing about our seniors. Take the fight to people who don't want to uh, pay attention to our young people. PatSpearman.com. I'm the one that needs to win this race, and I'm working hard to do just that. So, Reese, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to be on this platform. Thank God bless you. you. Thank you, Senator.
8: There is more to come on Rolla and Unfiltered. We'll be right back after this break. You're watching Rolla Martin and Unfiltered on the Black Star Network.
2: I'm Dr. Jackie, and on a next A Balanced Life, it takes a village to raise a child, and truer words have never been spoken. If you're raising a child, you know that it's a blessed challenge like no other, even more so if your child has a disability. We'll talk to parents and our expert panelists about the best way forward for your child to help you maintain your own sanity. On a next A Balanced Life with Dr. Jackie on Black Star Network.
3: We're all impacted by the culture. Whether we know it or not, from politics to music and entertainment, it's a huge part of our lives. And we're going to talk about it every day, right here on The Culture with me, Faraji Muhammad, only on the Black Star Network. Hey, I'm Arnaz J. Black TV does matter, dang it. Hey, what's up,
8: y'all? It's your boy Jacob Lattimore, and you're now watching Roland Martin right now. Stay woke. Zakaria Green has missing. She is 5-2. She weighs 135 pounds. Her hair is black eye color is brown. She's missing from Los Angeles, California, and she's been missing since September 9, 2021. The 18-year-old Los Angeles native, um, I already read all that information. So um, if you have any information about Zakaria Green, you should call the Los Angeles Police Department at 877-275-5273. A viral video sparks public outrage showing Syracuse police seemingly arresting a young black boy for allegedly stealing a bag of trips. Take a
11: look. What is y'all doing?
0: What are y'all doing? are is y'all doing?
11: Yes. He like a baby to me. Why you why you that's what I'm
3: doing. I don't know what you that's doing. That's I, you. You I just see you know. snatching him up don't off know. the So what's so what's going on then? you stealing, stealing stuff. I, if he breaks into your house to you steal something. Nah He's man, what do you A bag of chips? So y'all treat me like an old cold-blooded fucking killer? Get, get, keep walking, dude. You don't even know what you're keep talking Keep walking. About. I do, but I, I know what I just came up and see. What I know the fuck I just came up and see. Okay, what did you see? I no. see y'all snatching him up the bike like you're a fucking grown-ass man. you here? Ain't he saying it? wasn't here?
11: What is y'all doing? That's crazy. How old is he? Ten years? What so is y'all talking about, man? Right? That's against the law. Fuck is old, what is y'all doing? What is y'all doing?
3: Take the fucking chips. If you, chip go you stole some out. chips, I'll pay for them. I'll pay for them. You don't even know where he lives. You got to you? You know? all just throw him in the fucking car.
7: That's what they do. They come here. Fuck
3: what is y'all doing? doing? Leave he him alone. He's on no
7: camera. That's all we
8: can do. Be a kid. Folks call the officers' actions extreme. Syracuse police released the statement about the incident. We are aware of a video being shared on social media involving Several of our officers and juveniles accused of stealing from a store on the city's north side. The incident, including officers' actions and body-worn cameras, are being reviewed. There is some misinformation involving the case. The juvenile suspected of larceny was not placed in handcuffs. He was placed in the rear of a patrol unit where he was directly brought home. Officers met with the child's father and no charges were filed. I'm going to bring in the panel on this one and Before I have to say, you know, the language in this statement is troubling. And it just shows the criminalization stance, posture they're taking towards a child, towards a child, larceny, and referring to handcuffs. And, well, they weren't, he wasn't handcuffed. So fucking what? You had this little boy who was hysterical, crying with his arms behind... I've had my arms pinned up behind my back by a cop before, okay? And I woke up the next day, and my wrists were uh, very much swollen and and injured. And so this whole notion that just because they didn't handcuff the boy, that that's okay, no, the hell, it is not okay. So there is just problematic language in this statement beyond even just what we saw with our own two eyes. Crystal, I'm going to start with you. What is your reaction to what?
11: Lifelock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
12: A laundry? Ooh, a book club! computer solitaire
0: huh Ah, oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details
8: what we saw on video and to the syracuse police department statement
6: yeah, you know, I think i want to first start with what we saw on video, and it's very disheartening. And, you know, we continue to see cases like this over and over again where police are, you know, violently aggressing Black children, Black men, Black women, and brown victims as well um, here in America. um, The, the other thing that I want to bring up is that we talk about or the statement talks about that the child was not arrested, but the mental health of this child is already damaged just by this incident. And that's something that always gets lost in this you know police and victim you know conversation we don't talk about the mental health that we are putting people through, the trauma that we're putting children through just by being arrested. This is something that this young this young boy will remember for the rest of his life, and he will have this this you know un- unnecessary association of this violent association with policing in this country. Not only because of the experience that he has he himself has gone through, but what others have gone through as well. And we continue to see these you know instances happen over and over again, and it really it really reminds me that the George Floyd policing act it still has not been passed it also reminds me that criminal justice reform which is something that the president championed when he was you know running for office that still has not been addressed and so many of the things that the black community is asking out of this administration they continue to happen over and over again because they have not been addressed legislatively. Law has not been codified to make sure that Black people are protected from police officers in this country. And so until it does, we will continue to see more and more cases like this arise.
8: That is true, but I think Dr. Carr would argue that you can't train humanity or or cops seeing the humanity if that's not their, um, their, their posture, which we pretty much know it isn't from looking at that video. Dr. Carr, your reaction to what we
7: just witnessed? I agree with you. Yeah, of course, Recy. Uh Yeah, and, and, and while we continue to fight, as you say, Crystal, we recognize that these officers were not behaving incorrectly. They were doing what they are expected to do, mm. which is terrorize our people. Um, the, the long reparations movement uh, does not characterize the system that we live under as the criminal justice system. They call it the criminal punishment system. Mm. And those two punk cops, those hunters, those patter rollers, who have no fear, who are under no accountability, were terrorizing a child. And fortunately, there were adults. uh, We heard the brother uh, who intervened with the uh, with the with the cell phone there, the video. And as you say, uh, the patter rollers, the terrorists, the domestic terrorists, the occupying army. And look at this. Look at this punk. What if he was in your... What if, what, if, what, if was, what if he was breaking into your house? You punk. You punk. You, 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 you're right along with Andrew DeSantis, all you white nationalists. You just don't have a hood. In fact, your, your KKK hood is your little punk-ass uh, knit cap and with your, with your you know, whatever drugs you've taken to pump yourself up in the gym in between your shifts. But they... Uh, the response of the police department is to be expected. Uh, this wasn't... This is nothing they had to draft. In other words, we know uh, it's almost as if, in fact, they have a stock book. Mm -hmm. So the first reaction is, this isn't complete. This doesn't tell the whole story. Mm -hmm. And then they try to act as if their criminal behavior wasn't criminal behavior. He wasn't handcuffed. He was detained.
3: Mm -hmm.
7: See, the only time this is going to stop is when you put your hands on a child and then you perhaps don't have hands.
8: Mm. I know that's right. I did appreciate the brother, though, who was... You know, he was giving that energy, he was making it uncomfortable for them. It's not doing what you suggesting, Dr. Carr, but there has they have to be robbed of the joy and the adrenaline rush that they get from terrorizing black folks and we're still talking about a child. I mean, Doctor Carr, like you bring up, well, what if he is breaking into your house? I might grab a switch, I might grab a belt and, and, and whoop his ass, but That'll be, you know what I'm saying? Like, I would call up his parents. Where's your mama at? Where's your daddy at? Who is even calling the cops? I was looking. I was looking so hard to try to find out. How did the cops even get involved? Was it the punk ass store owners that called? Did you call the cops on a uh, on 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 three kids, eight year old and and his two brothers, over a bag of chips? That's what I want to know. I want that answer because, to Dr. Carr's point, we have to we have to have consequences for these folks that contribute to criminalizing our kids, not just the cops. That, that story, I'm not saying burn it down like we did in Rod the King in, in the L.A. riots, but what I'm saying is there should be a boycott, there should be a protest, there should be something saying, uh-uh. You know, you need to come up with other means to to to, to enforce, you know, shoplifting. I, I'm not saying kids should be, should be uh, stealing because I know people be in the comments dragging me. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is you should not be involving the cops over a bag of chips. Dr. Walker, Re- 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 what
7: did you be- Larry, yeah. b- before Larry, Before before you jump in, Doc, I just wanted to mention, don't want people to miss what you just said. Had it not been for that brother, had it not been for that intervention, we'll never know whether or not that little boy would have been returned home. Mm. Because at that point, they realized they were in trouble.
11: Yeah.
7: So we don't know what would have happened had he not intervened. So in some ways, we, we, he probably did alter the outcome just by doing what you said he did. That's right.
8: You're absolutely right because we saw a boy who was obviously hysterical, but he was alive when he got in that cop car. He saw the gentleman saw him get, uh, you know, ripped off the bike. He said chips flew everywhere. You didn't see no guns. You didn't see no knife. You know that because they try to pull all that shit out, try to make it seem like my life was threatened and this, that, and the other. So t- to your point, Dr. Carr, absolutely, that could have saved that young boy's life. And I hate to even think about that as a as a scenario, but you're right. Dr.
10: Uh, Walker, your, your response. Yeah, so, Recy, you know, this is part of a large issue how black people are dehumanized, right? So we talk about, you know, uh, TV, movies, et cetera, you know, music videos. Black folks are, are dehumanized. And so we would talk about the language they use, larceny, mm-hmm. in, the, in, the, in the press release. And so we also talk about the criminalization and trauma, how black males and the black folks in general are traumatized. Mm-hmm. This young brother has been criminalized at an early age over... We, is, are, are assuming it's a bag of chips. You heard the brother say that he would pay for the bag of chips. But we, like I said, we need to have a broader discussion about just how, how society abused abuse black folks. Mm-hmm. We see also that a lot of research out there shows that black children are seen older than they really are when it comes to general society. And that's another added issue that black children have to deal with. They're seen older than they really are. So to snatch up this young brother off a bicycle who's a child, my child, or anyone else in this panel, right? Uh, So to snatch them off a bike and treat them like that, he criminalized them at an early age. And once again, this is a part of the larger issue of how black folks are viewed in our society. People don't see our humanity, and when you don't see someone's humanity, whether you're snatching them off a bike or snatching their voting rights, you don't have a problem with it.
8: Yeah, Mm -hmm. you're absolutely right. I mean, we say it, I feel like I say it every week, if Dr. Carter doesn't say it, they have a no humans involved approach to policing black people, including children. I mean, this is part of the reasons why I'm not saying people can feel how they feel about defund the police. But one of the, you know, uh, initiatives of defund the police is to change out uh, police officers from schools. Because to your point, Dr. Walker, they tend to over-police black kids, think of them as adults and abuse them in a way. I mean, we've seen this because this, this guy just so happened to be walking down the street, but this kinds of stuff is happening in schools everywhere, and they're labeling kids as troubled kids or disruptive or whatever the situation may be. So we have to really do better by our children. Before we move on to the next story, Crystal, I just want to go to you because there was one specific word in in this police statement that really pissed me off. And it was referring to what has been out there as misinformation. Mm
12: -hmm.
8: I am adamantly opposed to misinformation. I am, you know, I've spent so much time combating it. What we saw was not misinformation. We saw Mm -hmm. it with our own two eyes. What this little boy was subjected to, which is unconscionable, knowing that the accusation was that he uh, he he had a bag of chips, allegedly. That may not have even been right. true. Um, mm-hmm. Can you just talk about and uh, Dr. Carl also mentioned this a little bit, just the way now that. You know, words like misinformation, or you know, how you said earlier, you know, well, what happened before or what happened after, are really being used to undermine accountability for these police officers.
6: Absolutely. So, what we know right now, based upon the case that we or the video that we saw, um, we know that the police officers um, roughly handled this child. They they were very aggressive they were also very um, terrorizing and traumatizing to this young child. Um, one of the things that we've seen police departments do across the country, they are co-opting the language of activists, right? Yeah. So they're co-opting this 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 whole notion of misinformation and disinformation because it sounds good, it's catchy, it's the the smart thing and the, the, the savvy thing to say right now, but there's no misinformation or disinformation and what a video has shown. And so what they're essentially saying is, are you telling me that my eyes are lying based upon the video that I saw? And so we continue to see police, op- or police departments do this because they're protecting the blue. That's one of the things that's embedded deep into the culture um, of policing in this country is that they protect their own. And even when they're wrong, they tell you that something is right or something is wrong to make you believe over and over again that what you saw wasn't true and so we've seen this happen throughout history we saw we, we saw this happen in 2020 with the big lie. If you continue to repeat something if you continue to state something over and over again people will begin to question well did i really see what i saw is it really true what that thing is and so that's why they use that term. And it's, it's no coincidence that they use it. They're using it on purpose because it's a language that we are hearing activists and people who are, quote unquote, progressive use about misinformation and disinformation. They're now just using it against against, you know, something that was illegal that they did.
8: You're absolutely right. I think that's such a good point about how they are co-opting the language. You're co-opting the language of activism. So you're hearing what they're saying, but you ain't doing a damn thing better in what they're demanding. So they need to work on that part. Uh, but let's, let's move on to our next story. In Connecticut, um, a sorry. In Connecticut, a state trooper is charged with manslaughter for the 2020 fatal shooting of a black man. Trooper Brian North turned himself in to the state inspector general Tuesday night. North fatally shot Mubarak Suleiman in January 2020 after a high speed chase. Suleiman was still in the driver's seat when he was shot. North posted a $50,000 bail was placed on paid administrative leave, and his police powers were suspended. The inspector general's officer's report said the shooting was not justified, even though North had told officials that he feared Solomay would attack other officers with a knife. In Ohio, a former police chief pleads guilty to trafficking machine guns. Dorian LaCourse pleaded, entered a plea new plea agreement to three charges conspiracy, making false statements in records and making false statements to the ATF. He helped two Indiana gun dealers sell machine guns from 2015 to 2019. LaCourse initially pleaded not guilty in 2021. The other two men involved also pleaded guilty. I'm going to bring in the panel before we go to a break on these stories. Starting with you, Dr. Carr, um, you know we we see the gambit at least two stories here where there is some accountability, maybe potentially at least some charges for some police officers. The one thing I want to point out, though, for the Solomon cases, you know, nobody can argue that he probably shouldn't have been involved in a high speed chase, um, and you know, whatever there was some there were some complicated situations there, but. I always caution in trying to impose a perfection standard when white folks get on high... I used to see them all the time when I lived in L.A. It was always a high-speed chase, and usually it did not end in some white man getting shot by the police on national TV. So they know how to apprehend people without shooting them. What is your reaction to kind of that... um, The fact that, yeah, he shouldn't have been a high-speed chase, but a doctor... I mean, Reverend Al Sharpton said it best that means he should have been on trial for a high-speed chase, not, you know, executed.
7: That's absolutely right. Well, Reese, I think you've articulated very succinctly and cleanly the standard by which we can measure progress. Would this have happened if the person had been white? It's very simple. And, And you're absolutely right. I mean, I think about young people, like my students and, you know, the young people who scour the internet, and post video after video on social media of belligerent whites in full-blown fistfights with mm. the police. <laughs> and, and, you know, underscoring the point that you raised. I mean, this young man should be alive. Brian North got two more years of paychecks, and who knows whether he will be convicted. And in the case, of course, with uh, the Ohio police chief and these two Indiana gun dealers, I mean, We live in a society that uh, not only tries to humanize the police, but celebrates them as the most human. Mm. And all you have to do to test that is to look at any network television evening with police procedural dramas. They're doing the best they can. They're really humane. These cats are straight up selling guns across state lines. Now, to to use your model... Make that two black Indiana gun dealers and a black Ohio police chief and see how quickly they would have been snatched up and put under the jail. So I think you've already framed it. Just switch the races and play out how it might play. And I think there's the answer. You framed it for us.
8: Yeah, Dr. Walker, speaking of you know, the fact that they were trafficking, these officers were trafficking guns, we have this movement now where we're seeing rollbacks on some of the criminal justice or criminal system reforms because there is, we cannot deny, there is a rise in crime, still historically low compared to other periods, but we had several mass shootings, Easter weekend, of people cutting up in the mall, shooting people um, all across the country. So we have... People who are rightfully concerned about gun control, about, you know, the increase of gun violence, and Republicans in, particularly, in particular use this to tout, you know, basically how Democrats need to be voted out, et cetera, et cetera. But then you have cops trafficking guns. They put hundreds of guns out on the streets. And these guns were supposed to be, now you could argue, I don't know if cops need to have assault rifles and these high-capacity, you know, weapons either, but these are the weapons that are intended for police departments, and they're putting it out there on the street and making a crap ton of money behind it. What's your reaction to that part?
10: Yeah, so, you know, Reese, I think the the, the conversation, the rhetoric on, on, you know, curbing gun violence is is interesting, particularly as it relates to this case, right? So, President Biden talked about ghost guns. Uh, the mayor of a city like Baltimore talked about ghost guns. You've heard that conversation about ghost guns in various mm-hmm. jurisdictions throughout throughout the country. But you compare that with this case in Ohio, when they are just out trafficking, right? So that's what they are they're traffickers, right? Yeah. You can't you? They're not law enforcement anymore. They're—they're they're, they're traffickers. So it's always interesting in terms of language we use when we describe describe people, right? Because they're not officers. They're not—they're not following the law, and they did this purposefully, right? So they knew what they were doing. And then they made money off of it. Right. So they, they're 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 gun traffickers. So I think, once again, when it comes to these kinds of issues, first of all, like I said, we had to talk about police reforms. Right. So we've been talking about this for years and we just had we, we talked about it. My colleague talked about it in the last segment, in terms of some of the police reforms. But we constantly are seeing these stories about law enforcement, not only taking advantage of citizens, but taking advantage of, of, of systems in place to ensure we don't see this kind of corruption. That's the other word we should be using, yes. is corruption. Mm-hmm. And I think that when it comes to Democrats, in particular, when they talk about some of the language that we use, we have to be more purposeful in saying, calling what it is. Call it corruption, call it, you know, they're trafficking in guns, and it's contributing to violence in our area. So we got to say that because it's really important to use that language because what's happening is, frequently, they're not using that language. And once again, like I said, these kinds of issues, if we're not talking about it on this platform, Who else is talking about what's happening and talking about calling out this corruption and also, obviously, the uh, the killing of the brother in um, Connecticut? We're constantly... We've been seeing this kind of violence on these videos for the last several years. Really, I go back to 1960s, we saw it in black and white. Now we're seeing, it in terms of how black folks were treated, we're seeing it in cell phone videos. But Hmm. once again, this idea between gun violence and videotaping it in U.S. society over the last several decades, we're constantly seeing it. What happens is we're being traumatized. Folks are being killed but they know we're not sending solutions by policymakers because they don't see our humanity, as I said earlier.
8: Yeah, you're right. And I want to pick up on that point, though, which you made about... I mean, essentially messaging, right, about how Democrats are not talking about corruption and things like that. Because I know for damn sure if, if somebody, you know, b- burns down a target in a Black Lives Matter rally, they make it seem like all of Black Lives Matter is Antifa and, and burning down targets and you know, black people are looting and they're violent... But then you have cops that are trafficking guns and it's all oh, a few bad apples. So we definitely lose the messaging war or, or the or the, or the conversations about really um, moving the needle and, and talking about the, how widespread this kind of behavior is because essentially they use their position to gain access to something that they weren't supposed to have. So what other kinds of things are these cops getting access to? And then they're profiting from it by selling it. For exponentially more money but crystal i want to go to you um i don't know where you stood i'm i'm not trying to start no mess because i know i'm probably on the island over here um i don't know where you stood on jesse smollett and his you know conviction all that stuff i'm not trying to relitigate that but two of the charges that these officers are facing are making false statements so i'm just curious to see how that part plans pans out, because when it was a, when it was a black man, I ain't going to say he innocent, but when it was Jesse, it was hundreds of, th- I think they spent millions of dollars actually prosecuting him over false statements. So I just, all I'm saying is I want to see that same energy in prosecuting these gun traffickers for the false statements that they made. What is your reaction to, to both of these stories and the false statements part too?
6: Yeah, well, I want to first address the um, gun trafficking charges and just say police are not, or this case about this, this police officer um, trafficking guns across state lines, um, I'm not surprised by that. I don't trust the police. I believe that they're not only gun traffickers, but they're drug traffickers, they're sex traffickers as well. And so we don't we don't hear about those stories, maybe not as often, but they're absolutely planning drugs on victims. And then locking them up for said drugs, taking those drugs back, taking the drug money back and just washing and, re- and rinsing, wash, rinse and repeat. That's what they're doing. A lot of police officers, a lot of police districts do that across this country. And you know why we don't hear about it? Because they protect their own, mm-hmm. which is something that we've been talking about over and over again. And so we're, it, it's, it's nice to see this one case where it's being highlighted about um, gun trafficking, but I want to talk about the sex trafficking. I want to talk about the drug trafficking and the illegal money seizures that they're they're using. And a lot of these officers are also using the drugs that they're also seizing from these folks who are selling drugs. So that's a whole another that's a, that's another su- um, subject and topic. But I think as it relates to what happened with Jesse Smollett, um, you know that case is troubling. It's challenging. Obviously, I was actually on this platform. Speaking about it. um, And I think, you know, whatever has played out in the case, that is absolutely what it is and how it's played out, regardless of if you believe Jesse or not. Um, It's unfortunate if he were to make up that entire thing, but he has been, you know, sentenced and and held to a court of law. I think what we saw in Chicago, we saw um, prosecutors really make an example out of him. Mm -hmm. We saw prosecutors spend millions of taxpayer dollars trying to bring down a black man when really what they should be doing is focusing on the education system in Chicago. What they should be doing is focusing on the high crime that they have in the city of Chicago. And so I'm not here to make any excuse for um, Justy's behavior. I think it was inappropriate. I also think two things can be true. You can, you know, Pr- you can prosecute someone for something that they did that was wrong. You can also hold your own accountable. And so as it relates to these police officers and what's happening in these other states, they need to be held to the same court of justice that Jesse was given. So give him the same, give these officers the same money, time, attention, and media that you gave to Jesse. So that's, that's those are my feelings as it relates to this.
8: We here, girl. That's all I'm saying. Give it the same energy, let it be new uh everybody cnn msnbc breaking news let's let's give all that energy but we talking about it here too but I, I do. And let it be
6: let, let there be Saturday Night Live skits about it as well. Hello. We can't forget about that. <laughs> exactly.
8: Mm. Come on. And that's how these people are disgraced and, you know, they make all cops look bad, all that stuff. But, but before we go to the break, I just want to absolutely highlight the fact that you're talking about sex trafficking and drug trafficking. And these are real things. And in Chicago, they had black sites where they were having illegal interrogations. The problem, though, is who's going to investigate the cops? Because even it seems like at the federal level, they're too busy looking at uh, Marilyn Mosby's 401k, looking at Brian Benjamin, 5,000 5,010, to however much he money. I'm not saying, I'm not saying let black people get away with stuff. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is there are actual real abuses of power, corruption, as Dr. Walker pointed out, that are going untouched. And it's having real implications in terms of the violence and the degradation of our communities because they get free reign. With that said, we're going to go to a break. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. We'll be right back.
0: When did you know that
11: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life.
12: No purchase necessary. VGW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Mm. This is what
14: I wanted I think right after high school, because in high school, I was in all the plays, but I was always funny. Mm. But I know nobody would pay me for it, you know? And then I saw Eddie Murphy. This was like 84 when I saw Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy was the hottest thing in the whole wide world. Not just comedy. But anyway, he saved Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. If he hadn't started that, that show would be gone. He uh, he had done 48 hours trading places. His first Beverly Hills cop could wear the hell out of a red leather suit, and he wasn't but 23 years old. He was rich enough to pee cream, and he got all that telling jokes. I said, "Shit, I've been funny my whole life. I didn't know people gave you money like that." So mm-hmm. I went and got some Red Fox albums. I went down to my mama's basement where I was living anyway, and I stood in that mirror and played them albums and them jokes until I could tell them like they were. Wow. And that started me doing jokes, and then I went and did comedy in the street. I was standing on State Street, tell jokes and pass my hat, and white folks would come up and just hand me money. And I liked it.
7: Pull up a chair. Take your seat. The Black Tape. With me, Dr. Greg Carr, here on the Black Star Network every week will take a deeper dive into the world we're living in. Join the conversation only on the Black Star Network.
3: Hi, I'm Eric Nolan.
1: I'm Shantae Moore. Hi, my name is LaToya Luckett and you're watching Roland Martin
8: Unfiltered. A federal judge grants the Black News Channel permission to borrow $1.6 million from its previous financier, Sal Khan. The organization will use the funds to pay vendors and a few staff members while it searches for a new buyer. Last month, the network closed its doors, filed for bankruptcy, and laid off hundreds of employees. Now, Roland did a masterclass on that. I don't think I can top that, so I ain't going to even try. Uh, but what I do want to say about that is I hope, that all of the energy that people put into, oh, I didn't even know it was a black news channel. I'm just hearing about this and this, that, and the other. And, you know, we need more black news and woo woo, woo All that energy, if they do manage to salvage it, which is what this 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 whole arrangement is about, is trying, they're trying to shop the network around. Apparently, there is interest in buying it. I hope that y'all... Bring that energy back to watching it because it wasn't nobody watching it. That was the problem. But you always can continue to watch and support the Black Star Network and Roland Barnum Filter because we're here. We're not off the air, okay? And we're in the building, all right? B- bills are paid, staff is paid, and we're gonna go ahead and go on to the next story. The sentencing of three men convicted of violating Ahmaud Arbery's civil rights when they murdered him is set for late summer. Travis McMichael and William Roddy Bryan will be sentenced on August 1st. Gregory McMichael will be sentenced seven days later. The three men chased, cornered, and shot Aubrey while he was jogging in a South Georgia neighborhood in 2020. I'm gonna go to the panel just real quick on the story because, you know, one of the things that was really interesting about um, the sentencing, right, was that um, that Ahmaud Arbery's family, they were against the original plea deal because they wanted uh, as harsh conditions as possible, justifiably so, I would, too. I would be like, fry them, if I were them. Um, and so they, um, they really did not want to see them serve what they consider to be easier time at federal prison first. So I don't know. And Dr. Carr, I'm just curious if you would happen to know the answer to this. Would the judge, on their own volition, be able to determine where the time is served first? Or do you think that in this kind of case, they probably would, would adhere to the family's wishes and, and take that into account with sentencing?
7: I'm not sure off the top of my head, Recy, but I think that, I mean, judges have wide latitude. I'm not sure that the Department of Corrections would, wouldn't step in. Um, and there's probably a kind of pro forma uh, schedule of where folks who are convicted of these types of offenses uh, are sentenced. But You know, to what you raise, it's it's difficult because going back to the first uh, story you covered in Florida, one of the fundamental challenges we have is gaining a better understanding of the system we live in. To even expect that the Department of Justice should prosecute and that somehow there will be more justice um, dispensed if a plea deal wasn't arranged, I think that kind of bespeaks a faith in a system... Now, I don't want to say a faith, that's too strong. Uh, a belief that somehow a systemic approach is more corrective than the one that was being pursued by the people who work inside the system. I mean, it's it's a it's a hapless dilemma. And let's just say you put them in the worst conditions possible. That's still not going to bring young uh, Ahmaud Aubrey back. So, um... Yeah, but I do think the judges have wide discretion in this regard, so we'll, we'll just have to see uh, where they have where they first serve their sentence.
8: Yeah, definitely. Well, the good news, I, I consider it to be good news, is they're going to be in jail for a long-ass time. So it, whatever the situation may be, they're going to end up in jail. Uh, Crystal, your quick reaction to um, the sentencing news that we're hearing about.
6: Well, I hope that they, you know, get the, the longest sentence possible. And I just want, you know, the viewers to, to not forget that, you know, um, this plea deal was not even widely publicized. This was something that was really kind of secretive in that the family was really outright and forthcoming and pushing this into the forefront. And the, the question that, that is so frustrating about this this whole sentencing in this case is how were they even given a plea deal? How? in what courtroom in America would they be even given the opportunity to plea out something so egregious, so vile in this, in this kind of, you know, case and instance? And so, you know, the whole courtroom, the prosecution, the, you know, attorneys, the defense attorneys, all of them have some level of um, guilt on their hands when it comes to the handling of this case. Only because there have been, you know, cause of activism, the family who has been very, you know, upfront and paying attention and really keeping, you know, the media abreast of what's happening, are we now seeing, you know, um, this sentencing and, and, and what's going to happen with it. But I absolutely believe and hope that these three men get the toughest sentence possible for this senseless killing. And ultimately, as Dr. Carr stated, it does not bring Ahmed Arbery back, but it does, um, you know, allow folks to sleep a little bit easier knowing that you cannot just run around shooting and killing innocent Black bodies in this country and getting to walk away and plea and or plea your way out of a case like this.
8: Definitely. I completely agree with you. Uh, but I will say, I think to the to the credit of the prosecution, they did get a conviction, which I think with Black folks, regardless of the evidence, regardless of open and shut case... We just saw with the with the young boy, uh, that's misinformation, a video that we can see with our own eyes. We still hold our breath in these cases. And sometimes they uh, don't end up in... A lot of times, actually, they don't end up in conviction. So I think it was important that um, the family of Ahmaud Aubrey got the conviction in court that they were looking for. To your point, Crystal, they did not want the plea deal. Uh, but I also think that that, you know, like I said, I did just say that they're going to be in jail no matter what. But, Dr. Rock, I do think it's important because you don't always get the state conviction. And so you do have to sometimes rely on these federal charges. So I, 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 do you expect that the sentencing will set the tone or kind of, you know, send a warning shot to people that regardless of what happens at the state level, you will be held accountable at the federal level if you violate civil rights the way that they did for Ahmaud Aubrey?
10: Yeah, Reese, I think that's an important question, but I, you know, I don't have a lot of faith in the system, right? And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to tell you why. First of all, I hope that after August, this brings some kind of peace to the family, right? And because they've consistently, you know, advocated r- kept this memory alive. Because after this tragic, tragic, tragic murder, so one of the things I want to highlight is in terms of the system, Reese, is they almost got away with it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I think that's, right. I think that's one of the things that's really important. They nearly got away with it, and if if a lot of there wasn't more attention brought regionally in the state of Georgia and also nationally that they, they would have gotten away with it mm-hmm. uh, this travesty this murder so like i said first of all i hope that it brings the family peace but for me justice is that we don't have any more we don't have any conversations about stories like this anymore mm-hmm. right because this is very easy it could be me or someone else i care about or someone else that we read about and so justice in america is that black folks don't have to constantly deal with these kinds of uh, uh, situations and that we can be free and live peacefully and not have to worry about where our driver's license is every time we're in the car. Or when we're going for a jog, not have to worry, look over our shoulders to worry if someone's going to grab us and end our lives. And I think that's what's really important. Obviously, like I said, I'm, 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 it's great that the state got, you know, a conviction and was happening at the federal level. But more than anything, black people deserve peace and joy and, le- and, le- and need to live their lives peacefully.
8: Well, we can dream. I have a dream <laughs> that one day that will be true. I, I can't fill in the blank on the rest of it, but I have a dream. Uh, but dreams deferred on this next story because the brother, is same old shit, the brother and sister-in-law of former First Lady Michelle Obama are suing an elite private school in Wisconsin alleging racial discrimination against their sons. Craig and Kelly Robinson say the University School of Milwaukee expelled their their sons after the couple raised concerns about the treatment of students of color. The couple claims the school failed to provide a safe, inclusive learning environment and repeatedly used stereotypical and harmful content in lessons and assignments. Here's how the University School of Milwaukee responded. Today, a former school family filed a lawsuit against USM. The lawsuit alleges that the school's decision to non-renew the enrollment of the family's two children constituted an effort to retaliate against the family for raising concerns about the treatment of students of color. And under represented students. The former school family has also been in contact with media to discuss their legal case. We regard highly the privacy and confidentiality of our community members, and we cannot comment on the specifics of matters involving threatened, or pending litigation. However, we can tell you that USM's enrollment decisions had nothing to do with complaints of inequity or discrimination, and we intend to vigorously defend the school against any claim to the contrary. Since going public, more families have coordinated the, corroborated the Robinsons' claim of discriminatory practices by the school. Okay, now, here's the thing. I don't believe a damn word they said. Because if you are treating the kids of the former first lady's brother-in-law like that, oh, you for damn sure are treating the, uh, the black kids and the underrepresented kids who don't have any power like crap at that school you're definitely doing stuff you ain't got no business doing because i ain't throwing no shade i'm not trying to say nothing to cast aspersions on the character but i don't know craig and kelly robinson to be really like picking up picket signs and out there marching and black lives Matter. maybe they did and i missed it i don't know but they don't really seem like the kind of people that's really trying to push the envelope too far they probably just want wanted their kids to go to school in an inclusive environment. That's my speculation. So if they're raising an issue that has now been corroborated, according to the Robinson family, by 40 families, there's a problem there. Uh, Kelly, what's your reaction to... Um, I'm sorry, Crystal, what's your reaction to to this story?
6: Well, I think that they are using the their means and their access to, um, you know, privilege and political office to highlight the, this discrimination case, and that's what it sounds like it is, and the fact that 40 other families have cooperated, this, then they're not singled out. They're not, you know, asking for special treatment based upon their political affiliation, based upon their political, um, you know, I guess, you know, their political affiliation with the former president of the United States. And so I think that, you know, any family... Who has experienced any form of discrimination by any university, any institution, are well within their rights to sue and pursue and, and pursue, you know, pursue legal action. And that seems a, that that's what this case is about, and that's what they're doing. Um, I think the school is obviously embarrassed, not only because you know there's legal action being taken against them, but also because of the celebrity associated with this case in that this is the brother of the former um, president or brother-in-law of the former um, president of the United States and, and first lady of the United States. And so it just adds a level of, of, of awareness and of, of heightened you know, scrutiny and security around this. But I think that they should sue, um, make sure that other families um, have voice in this lawsuit as well, and let this university know that they cannot take these kinds of actions in the future and be able to sweep it under the rug.
8: I agree. I, I'm a firm believer in black people being more litigious. Okay. Call the manager, sue somebody, get some coin. If you're being discriminated against, especially if you have the means, leave to a bad boy. review. Whatever, <laughs> Hello. Whatever you got to do. Okay. It, yeah. All of that. Better Business Bureau, whatever it is you got to do to spread the word, do that. Okay. Uh, but Dr. Carr, what is your take, though? I mean, several of the families just took their kids out of the school. Do you think that there is a forcing mechanism for a an elite institution like this to really be, to change their ways? Or, I mean, I'm not saying they shouldn't sue. I'm not saying that they shouldn't draw attention to it. But, but you know, you, you, you're you from the illustrious Howard. And um, I'm just curious to be, if you think that that's even, like, something that could even be forced, given your, you know, your experience in education?
7: Oh, man, Reese, that's a hell of a question. Uh, we just wrapped for the semester at the law school this week. Uh, my last class was last night, and we actually talked about First Amendment rights and protections in schools. Mm. And ironically, the two institutions where you find fewer constitutional guarantees are schools and prisons. Hmm. There's, a lot, there's a lot more leeway given to prison superintendents and to school principals and attendants when it comes to children. Now, that having been said, there's even more leeway when you're talking about private institutions. So, no, there's no incentive for the University School of Milwaukee to do anything. I mean, they're in Wisconsin after all, where the white nationalist party is running rampant over the law and in the legislature. This might actually uh heighten their reputation. If you look at their website, I didn't see, but one black person, and he wasn't alone. You got about a thousand students there. It costs thirty thousand dollars a year to go to school there. Mm. And uh, you know, and it was it was such a pleasure to see you last Friday when we were at the African American Museum, celebrating Jackie Robinson. And one of the things Jackie Robinson said when he almost uh, caught he had to hold himself back from beating the tar out of a cop on one hundred twenty fifth Street, he said, uh, after the police. Uh, apologized to him for the confrontation. He said, but it shouldn't have to be because it was Jackie Robinson. Right? If I had Jackie Robinson, they'd have beat me up. So with all due respect to the Robinsons, let me be very clear about this. Their children who this private school said we can no longer associate with your family. Their children, who they sent a letter home to their parents and said, you didn't demonstrate respect for our expertise and uh, you didn't treat them in respectful and trustworthy, fair, and kind manner, their children are going to be okay. Yeah. It is those babies who don't have a recourse, who are suffering every day this kind of thing. So, you know, just because we black, and this gets some attention, this should draw even more attention to the fact of what you said. These aren't the ones who necessarily make a lot of noise. Well, you know what? Come on over to the side and fight for the babies who don't have $30,000 mm. a year for private school education.
8: I know that's right. Because, uh, look, they said take your funky ass to 30000 or 60000 in this case and go on, because we're going to continue to right. do our white stuff the way we want to do it if you don't like it too bad. We don't need you anyway. But to your point, Dr. Carr, the ones we really need to be worried about the ones who, they get $30,000 in public school education funding for a whole class full of kids, you know, and they don't have the books and they don't have iPads or whatever, so they don't have ventilation in their classrooms, heat, anything like that. That's a really need to be concerned about, but, you know, you still got to Hey, you you, you got to remind folks that this kind of stuff is happening regardless of your socioeconomic status. You can't outrun being black. You can't outrich being black. There's nothing That's you can insane. do about that because they're going to always remind you. Uh, Dr. Walker, you're an educator as well, so I just want you to get the last word on this, on this topic.
10: So... Uh- Reese, I think it's important to keep the 100 in this conversation. They've been probably doing this for years, mm-hmm. right? Listen, especially these private schools. I mean, it's different. The public schools have certain mechanisms in place that you can hold people responsible. Private schools, with all, especially the affluent ones, with all their money, listen, they've been doing this for a long time. And what happened is the Robinsons just had the political clout to call them out. Yeah. It's just that simple. And I think also it's important for all those kids who were at that, who were sending that school, who may be there on partial scholarship or et cetera, who've been catching hell for years. Hopefully, this mm-hmm. forces the administration, you know, whoever, the board of trustees, et cetera, to make some changes now that they're getting all this, un- this political pressure they don't want. You don't mess with someone who's affiliated with former president of the United States' family.
4: Yeah.
8: That's
10: just a bad political move. And now they're paying for it. But the bottom line is they've been doing this for a long time. My wife and I had a situation where we had to pull our son out of a private school very early on because we just didn't like the way that they- the language that they used. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of black folks similar situations have happened. So listen, this happens all throughout the country, and we have to make sure we protect our Black babies. And, you know, as you, we talked about in this conversation, this happened all the time, and it happens a lot in private schools.
8: You're right, and now I'm not in any way trying to insinuate like that, because... Black children are wealthy, that they should not be given the protections of not being in a, a racially hostile environment, because I don't believe that at all. I think, you, like you said, we need to protect all our babies. The wealthy ones, the partial scholarship, the full scholarship ones, the ones at the public schools, charter schools, whatever, they all need to be protected. And they all need to go come up in an environment that is constructive and healthy and empowering for them. So let's move on to Tennessee. A bill requiring Tennessee students in grades five through eight to learn about black history just needs the governor's signature. Senators approved House Bill 2106 in a 27 to three vote, while the House passed the measure in an 80 to two vote. Supporters of the bill say it's important to ensure students get a truthful, well-rounded view of history.
2: The reason why this is important is there are a lot of really great Tennesseans like Samson Keeble, who was the first African-American elected to the Tennessee General Assembly, or like Bessie Coleman, or like Wilma Rudolph. And we want to make sure that that continues to be a part of our history and our schools. Um, And so then one day, hopefully, there won't even be a such thing as black history. It will all just be so melted into one that it will not have to be defined that way.
8: Once the governor signs the bill into law, the State Board of Education will review current social studies books and decide which black history lessons to add to the curriculum. That is if he signs the bill. I didn't see a statement one way or another, so hopefully all of the hard work that it took to get there. uh, There had been some failed attempts to get this kind of um, black history added to the curriculum. So hopefully this time he'll sign it. With that kind of bipartisan support, it should happen, but we did see what... um, Homeboy uh, Glenn Youngkin up in Virginia did with widely supported bills. If there was a Democrat attached to it, he vetoed it. So let's hope that the, the governor down there um, is a lot better, at least on that regard. So speaking of racist behavior, a black Tennessee mayor declares April as Confederate History Month. A black, I'm gonna read that again. A black Tennessee mayor declares April as Confederate History Month we going backwards. Going backwards. <laughs> Mayor Livingston, uh, Tennessee, Mayor Courtesy Hayes signed the proclamation surrounded by members of the Sons of Confederate Veterans. Y'all see this. My goodness. Here's the caption that accompanied the photo. A contingent of compatriots with Sons of Veterans Myers, Zollkoffer, camp 1990. Recently met with Livingston Mayor Curtis Curtis Hayes for a signing of a proclamation designating April 2022 as Confederate History Month in the town of Livingston and urging all citizens to avail themselves of the opportunities to increase their knowledge of this important era of Tennessee's history. Celebrated in Southern states, Confederate History Month began in 1994. Mississippi is the only Southern state that officially declared April Confederate Heritage Month in 2022. Ooh, child. Okay. I don't know. Can we can we can kind I of go to the panel? Okay. Sorry, I'm breaking the third wall here. Um, uh, but I wanna talk about these two tennessee stories, uh, because first of all, I, I looked up this mayor. He's nonpartisan. So I, I did I was gonna drag him because being Republican, Democrat, he's nonpartisan. Some of you nonpartisan, you independents. Y'all little crack right too. Okay. Don't think just cause you not a political party that you off the hook that you got it right, cause this person didn't get it right. Um, but I just think it's interesting with all this anti-CRT, we don't want to teach history. Y'all want to teach Confederate history, cause y'all know y'all lost and y'all know y'all was fighting for slavery, right? So I'm trying to figure out. Why y'all are trying to talk about the federal history, but you don't want to talk about American history? It doesn't make sense to me, but we know it's propaganda, right, Crystal? What
6: do you have to say? Yeah, about I, I, this? I just want to say, one, one, I'm a native Tennessee and I'm from Memphis and I know um, Dr. Carr's brother lives in Nashville. And he's been on the I've been on the panel with him before. But I, but I want to just say it's so interesting that this first story where Senator Ackberry is up speaking about, you know, the legislation that hopefully she she likely co-sponsored. Um, you know, she's saying that she hopes that this gets passed and signed by Governor Bill Lee, which I don't, I don't have any faith in Governor Bill Lee, um, that he will actually sign that. So we have, you know, this this conversation about Black History on one hand, and then we have this other conversation where a Black mayor of a small town in Tennessee is essentially, um, I think he, I, we need to check and see if he was drugged. We need to check and see <laughs> if he was given some kind of sedative to actually produce that proclamation because I just don't believe that any person in their right mind would do that with all of those kinds of white supremacists standing behind him, draped in a confederate flag. So my first question is was the brother drug? That's <laughs> what I want to know to all the Tennesseans watching it and, you know, this, this, this broadcast and I want to know why, are, why aren't people raising the flag about that? I'm looking at you, the Equity Alliance, um, Tequila and Charlene and all the black folks who run you know grassroots, Black-led organizations in the state of Tennessee, where are you all with raising the roof about this? This is ridiculous. But on the other hand, as it relates to critical race theory, isn't it ironic that we're living in a moment in history where people like, you know, Governor Bill Lee, people like Governor Ron DeSantis, people like Governor Abbott down in Texas, they don't want critical race theory taught in schools, which we already know it's not. But at the same time, you're having a mayor... Um, create a proclamation about the Confederate history. We're having to ask in codified language in state legislatures about Black history, but we're also saying we don't want to teach critical race theory. And so, you know, this is just more continuation of foolishness that happens in Tennessee, unfortunately, and we're making headlines again for all the wrong reasons.
8: You know, to your point about drugs, white supremacy is a hell of a drug. And it don't have to be sniffed or snorted or, or you don't need a needle, nothing. You just look for it. That's it. But, it, you know, it, it's giving me Clay and Bigsby because, like, that image, you know... But Clay and Bigsby was at least blind. He didn't see that he was a black man. You know you a black man doing this kind of stuff. So that that's very, very weird. Dr. Carr, you, you have roots in Tennessee as well. What's your reaction to both of these stories?
7: Well, I think it's very American. I'd like to congratulate Curtis Hayes, Jr. Um, (laughs) The drug that he is high on is called America. Mm. And I I hated the sister to say that one day we we might not need Black History Month. I mean, that's that's obviously absurd, but it's based on a fundamental misunderstanding of where we are in this settler state. And it's common to have that understanding, that misunderstanding. The Confederate States of America were traitors To the united states of america Mm -hmm. and so wait oh you know they weren't uh because after the war their land was returned to them that's where black people got sold out in places like south carolina and mississippi uh they are allowed they and they're still allowed to celebrate their traitorous act as an act of patriotism that's why the governor of mississippi tate Reeves, with that bad uh, dollar general store uh mop on his head uh was able to declare uh, that the whole state confederate <laughs> celebration. <laughs> and as you say, Crystal, I mean, we know that Memphis is black as hell. Mm. And where I'm from, Nashville is black enough for the white nationalists and the Tennessee legislature to try to slice and dice to continue this minority rule so they can make Tennessee the latest state in the South to join the ranks of Rhodesia mm. and, and apartheid South mm. Africa. Mm. But where this boy is from, Curtis Hayes Jr., is halfway between Nashville and Knoxville. And I got family up in them hills near Silver Point and all that kind of stuff. Curtis Hayes lives in a in a in a in a city where it's about four thousand people, and all but maybe one or two percent are black. and And talk about black history. Listen, there are two types of black. There are two types of ways to approach a multicultural education. One is called infusion. That's the Tennessee bill, and I ex- Lee might sign it. Why? Because if you understand education, you understand that. Signing a bill to mandate teaching doesn't translate into it being taught. Right. You see, standards don't translate into what happens in the classroom. The other way to do it is the independent standalone courses. Hmm. You see, that's a different kind of war. So actually, Curtis Hayes would fit perfectly in uh, executing that bill. Why? He is able to trace in that little town of Livingston, Tennessee, his great-great-great-grandmother who was formerly enslaved and is celebrated in that little town in Black history. He has won Black History Awards. He was the first Black Livingston Police Department... Uh, member of the Police Department? He was the first Black sheriff, deputy sheriff. He married a white woman. He is an ultimate success. Uh, well, uh, we just had a story about Craig Robinson, right? But anyway, the point is this. What does assimilation look like? Yeah. Assimilation, thy name is Curtis Hayes.
11: Mm.
8: Well, Dr. Walker, you got to follow that. Sorry. <laughs> What's so, your comment?
10: I want to uh, think about one uh, of our great uh, rhymers ra- of all time, Chuck D, when it once said, every brother ain't a brother. Mm. And and that's pretty much, for me, <laughs> summarizes, I, I mean, I, beyond the fact that was he drugged or not, where are his folks at mm. to say, don't do this? Yeah. That's the real question. Where is people to say, listen, don't do this. This is a bad look. This photo... People will see this photo for you know forever and that long after you're gone. And in terms of this, what's that happened in Tennessee in terms of signing this Black History bill? It's interesting because the same states, some of the same states, are finding you know talking about everything is in CRT. I always feel like even if the bill was signed, somehow it would have been voided because we say we can't talk about this because it's CRT and not Black History. Yeah. Right. It's just this weird contradiction in terms of what Dr. Carr talked about and when it relates to race and how this United States, this country, understands it. Because it's either just it's either black or white. It's not nuanced in terms of race. So I don't know. Tennessee is getting like, you know, where I'm in Florida and losing his mind and, and doing things that don't make any sense. So like I said, but you know, sh- you know, no shout out to the folks who, who didn't tell their brother not to sign <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry that bill. His people didn't just didn't did, just didn't sit down and had a conversation with him. But uh hopefully he gets I don't know if he gets invited to you know, we summertime. He may not even get invited to the picnic, so
8: yeah, you like you said, where are his people at? And maybe his people need to be talked. They need to find the people for those people, too, because maybe all y'all crazy. His right. mom is definitely not clicking over there.
6: He was drugged. I'm convinced he was drugged. I'm convinced. <laughs>
8: Crystal is giving him the
7: benefit of the yeah. doubt.
10: That man was drugged. No Christmas dinner for him. Where? See,
7: it's just because this man have been the mayor of that little town since 2006. He was 31 years old. Yeah. He was raised in a majority white. In other words, this raises the deeper question. What does it mean, if anything, to be black? Hmm. I don't mm. even know. If we don't have a common definition, we can't get mad at him. He was groomed to do exactly what he's doing. He's a signing pen for the Confederate States of America. He was groomed for that.
6: I'm embarrassed today for the state of Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> I'm embarrassed
8: we're going to focus on the positive the positive is got a little song maybe black history but to dr Carr and to dr Walker's point, i mean it's the first step right there has to go through this long review where parents get to give input into what they think should be included yada 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 so it's years away from being implemented but I do appreciate, because I think it's hard being a legislator, particularly a black legislator, in these red states that are really... And a lot of activists will say that they're not red, per se. They're just under-tapped into, you know, in terms of really, uh, uh, you know, exciting the electorate. You have people like Gary Chambers that's running, and he laid out the receipts in terms of the, the electorate and what it can look like if black folks voted. So I think, you know, it's hard to be up against so much but they still try to do things like that so i'm going to salute the legislators um who got this version passed it may not be you know black panther fist held up high type of you know education but it'll be more than what they had before so keep keep working at it and and that's great and
6: and can i just say one more thing we um dr Carr? i'm going to talk to ramesh about doing away with black history we were going to always need black history um, but I, I know Senator Ackberry. and so I'll just remind her about that language and how it's it's not helpful. Um, but I understand why she, you know, put this legislation forward. But the doing away with Black History, we're gonna all, it it. We always need Black History, more of it
7: appreciate you this well, yes, i agree i know you are, I know
6: you are. <laughs> well like yes. i told jane
8: elliott
6: her after this
8: right well i remember when jane elliott was on the show with cj doctor how you probably remember that cj pearson was on and she said uh we need to all give up our titles i said nah i'm gonna always be black y'all can give up white but i'm gonna always be black so yes we're gonna always need black history point blank in the period. We celebrate it every day, we don't need a curriculum, but thank you anyway for your advocacy in getting it into the curriculum. Senator, Senator Akbari, you're watching Rolla Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. We'll be right back.
2: I'm Dr. Jackie and on a next A Balanced Life, It takes a village to raise a child and truer words have never been spoken. If you're raising a child, you know that it's a blessed challenge like no other. Even more so if your child has a disability. We'll talk to parents and our expert panelists about the best way forward for your child to help you maintain your own sanity. On a next A Balanced Life with Dr. Jackie on Black Star Network.
3: We're all impacted by the culture, whether we know it or not. From politics to music and entertainment, it's a huge part of our lives. And we're gonna talk about it every day, right here on The Culture with me, Faraji Muhammad, only on the Black Star Network.
6: I'm Angie Stone. Hi, I'm Teresa Griffin. Oh, Roland. Hey, Roland, I am so disappointed that you are not here, first of all. Um, Where's our dance? It's like we get a dance in every time I see you. And so now you're not here for me to dance with, sir. You and your ascot, I need it. I need that in my life right now. Okay, Um, I love you, Roland.
3: What's up, I'm Lance Gross, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered.
8: The the Chicago childhood home of Fred Hampton, one of the most prominent faces of the Black Panther Party, is now recognized as a historical landmark. Hampton's son and mother spearheaded the Save the Hampton House initiative connected to the film Judas and the Black Messiah about Hampton and his death. The Black Panther Party leader was shot in his Chicago home in 1969 while police were executing a search warrant. I'm going to go to the panelists, our last story of the night. Dr. Carr, I'm going to start off with you. You know, I think it's interesting that this is tied or this push is tied to Judas and the Black Messiah, which was a very successful, in some cases, Oscar-winning film. I'm sure that the advocacy long existed, but what do you think about just how there's this commercialization and there's this profit that's made, but there's still unfinished business behind these stories that are being told and 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 really, I don't want to say glamorous because it wasn't glamorized, but being told by Hollywood. What's your take on that?
7: I'm against all of them, of course, but because um, it's Hollywood, they're there for profit. However, if we can leverage that visibility to get some things done that benefit our community, then we have to take our victories where we can find them. And by the way, you've done an incredible job, and as always when you sit in for, for Roland, but you're underscoring the point that this is why this platform is so important. Sure, BNC, maybe it'll be bought, maybe it'll be... But but nothing is like independent institutions. Mm -hmm. The Judas and the Black Messiah film had a number of flaws in it, but it was also supported by Fred Hampton Jr. and the family, in part because it did allow this. Now, that that house there, you know, it's important to understand that Fred Hampton's mother... uh, Fred Hampton's mother babysat for Emmett Till. Mm. They all grew up in the same community. But that story is not going to make it to CNN or MSNBC. That story is being told right here on, uh, in, in our platform here in Black and Black Star Network. And that allows us to continue to fight so that when there is a moment when Hollywood says, we can make some money off this, there will be people around who can force Hollywood a little bit closer to the type of things we need. And this is a victory today. We, we, we can't say so, you know, victory to, uh, to Fred Hampton's widow, um, I'm and Jerry, victory to Fred Hampton Jr. and to everyone, and to his mother and his his siblings, his family, because this is a victory for Black people. So so it's, it's a good thing, I think.
8: I agree with you, Dr. Carr. I mean, we gotta take our victories, how they come about, when they come about, because we don't get as many of them as we need to. Crystal, your reaction to this story?
6: Yeah, I I tend to agree with, you know, much of what Dr. Carr just stated, that this is a victory. I think, you know, the movie definitely highlighted what many in America did not know, um, but many Black people had already known. Um, and And if you attended an HBCU like I did, like Howard University, the illustrious. Um, You were, you know, taught about Fred Hampton, but even when you grow up in black cities like Memphis and Chicago and and many other cities across this country, we know our history, but we don't have our history shown and highlighted um, in Hollywood. We don't have historic landmarks like his house um, preserved in the the fabric of black culture in this country. And so when we have an opportunity to have this done, we absolutely need to celebrate it. Um, it may not be in the way that we wanted it to to to, you know, we, we may not have arrived here in the way that we really wished, but at least it's being celebrated. At least people on a national scale are recognizing this. and so I'm happy. Um, that this is um, a win not only for the family and for the city of Chicago, but also for Black culture and Black preservation.
8: You're so right about it being a win for the culture and Black preservation. And you know, Dr. Walker, I'll, you'll get the last word on this. One thing that, I don't wanna say all the white folks, but let's just say, let's talk about the Confederate people, right? They are very serious about their landmarks, about their statues and their, this and their proclamations and all that kind of stuff. And I believe we are, too, but we don't always get that institutional support from the various systems, whether it's the city, the government, or whoever, to mark these important landmarks and, and these historic figures outside of what we can consume on TV. So can you just talk a little bit and close us out about the importance of just landmarks generally and how we really need more of them that are preserving our culture, as Crystal just
14: said?
10: Yeah, so Reese, it's important to make that connection between like landmarks and causes, right? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, as a you know, he and also the reminder that Hampton was murdered, right, at a very at, at a young age, right? He had a life his life of, uh, ahead of him. And so like many of our you know, our civil rights martyrs, you know, it is important, like I said, to to make sure there's a connection between what his message was as a member of, of the party and have a broader conversation. So if we can have, you know, school children in Chicago, metropolitan area and other places visit this, visit the site where he was killed, mm. we can have a conversation about what freedom is in America and what historically has happened to black folks who have fought for freedom in this country, uh, what happened to Hampton, what happened to King, etc. Right? So we could have a broader conversation. We talk about this issue of history, particularly what happens in black history. We have this broader conversation not only with black kids, but my other kids about how they benefit from a system that has historically done this to black folks who have fought for freedom.
8: That's such an important point to make. You know, let's also make sure that we're marking the causes. Let's not water it down. Let's not quote one little quote that makes people feel good. Uh, Let's make sure that we continue to recognize the whole of what, like you said, our civil rights martyrs and, and our historic figures and even current day civil rights activists are fighting for. So with that said, that does it for us here. Um, At Rolla Martin Unfiltered, I want to thank my panel, Dr. Larry J. Walker, Dr. Greg Carr, and Crystal Knight. A big thank thank you to you for joining us here in Rolla Martin Unfiltered, streaming on the Black Star Network. If you haven't done it yet, download the Black Star Network on all of your devices. You can download it on your iPhone, your Apple TV, Android, Android TV, Roku, Fire TV, Xbox One, and Samsung Smart TV. And as I said in the little promo video, the video quality is impeccable because y'all be complaining about, oh, it looks like this on whatever. Go ahead, download the Black Star Network, and now you can get the high-quality video if you would like to support us so we can continue bringing you the stories that matter to us you can donate um for the address if you want to send a check some of y'all still sending checks money orders uh maybe i don't know if you could do checks but do a money order p.o box five seven one nine six washington dc two zero zero three seven dash zero one nine six or cash app Pay attention to the graphics. Don't get it wrong. There's some scammers out there trying to get your money. It's not going to Roland if it doesn't have these specific things on it. So Cash App, is dollar sign RM unfiltered PayPal RM, sorry Roland Martin unfiltered Venmo RM unfiltered Zell Roland at RolandSMartin.com. Okay. I am Reese Colbert. Roland will be back tomorrow. Have a great night. Holla.
11: I'm Katya Adler, host of The
5: Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. with Zumo Play.